All right, for tonight, tonight's topic is lightning, and I'm super, super pumped. And seriously, Preston, thank you so much. We have Lisa, who's concentrating on the developer side. We have Andy, who's concentrating on the investing side. We have Harry, who's going to be talking from the building and business side and like how that integrates, specifically in the mining side, and letting uh, Preston uh, moderate and curate this conversation. So without further ado, let's welcome these fine folks up on stage. All right, uh, where I want to start off uh, with Lisa. So you've been working hard for the last three days and uh, base 58, what is it? What are you teaching? And uh, is there anything that was unique in the last three days with the instruction that you want to highlight? Yeah, hey everyone. Uh, my name's Lisa. I go by Nifty Nye on the internet and all my hacker stuff. Um, yeah, so I run Base58. It's a project I started a little over a year and a half ago. Um, teaching kind of just started with actually just teaching local friends in Houston about how Bitcoin worked at a technical level. Um, went online last year and taught about 50 people through our online classes. Um, trying out to do in-person this year. And this week was our first ever lightning class. Um, we did it here at Bitcoin Park. Yeah, super exciting stuff. Um, we are the most technical Bitcoin school in the, in the entire ecosystem. Um, we have had some of the most incredible new developers to the space come through Base58 classes. So... Um, yeah, super exciting to have our first ever Lightning one here. We got six devs through. Um, one of them started their dev education like whole uh, career last year in our transactions class. Managed to start contributing to Mutiny, who gave them a seat in this class as a thank you for the work they were doing. So we've already had our first BIS58 double feature con uh, student come through in the first ever class. So that's super cool. Love it. And it's three days? Yeah. So three the lightning days. class was three whole days, six hours a day of learning about how lightning works. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. Uh, Harry. Preston. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, last night, I don't know how many people were here last night versus tonight, but we talked about uh, Sonoda on the mining side and like how lightning's getting integrated uh, what are some other things that, you know, people that aren't intimately familiar with the mining space, whether that's pools or uh, the actual hardware that's maybe happening that's integrated with Lightning that is innovative moving forward? Yeah, I think that when when folks um, initially think about the relationship between mining and lightning, it's a it's a little oil and water at first blush. But I, I don't really think that's true. And and the reason being is that you know miners are functioning to deliver proof of work to the base chain and process sort of base chain transactions. So you know other than channel openings and closings, you know what role do we really have to play? Um, but I, I don't think that that's sort of the whole story. Where you know ultimately over time. You know, Bitcoin is going to migrate across these layered, you know, pathways and the right place for your UTXO is going to change over time. Um, and so what's really interesting for me about lightning and mining is that, you know, right now the miners are those generating, you know, the transaction fee plus the subsidy. 
as a revenue stream. Um, but there's another revenue stream available to being a lightning channel router. So I think that, you know, over time, we're going to see an interesting relationship where miners, um, because they have this kind of constant stream and this this um, drip feed of, of Bitcoin, are going to want to migrate their retained earnings into a lightning environment and become large routing providers as well. So processing a transaction on the base chain via proof of work and processing a transaction within the context of the lightning uh, environment via routing and liquidity provision, like to me, those are two sides of a very similar idea. Um, and so these sinks, you know, I think of a miner as basically like a Bitcoin sink that that is going to sink capital into the ASIC procurement and then is also going to sink their retained earnings into a lightning environment and should be able to generate free cash flow across both of those environments. And, and it becomes this very sort of virtuous cycle where mining at a profit becomes routing at a profit across a long enough time scale. So I think that, you know, the miners are going to play a great role in providing liquidity across this layer too. So they're not just uh, integrating with energy, but they're also becoming this quasi like risk-free rate banking entity as well. Insert, is that what you're, that in, what you're saying? In, yeah. Insert always has been meme here. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. All right. We're going to come back to that. <laughs> Duh. Uh, Andy. Uh, okay. So when we look at the audience of folks here, I would imagine the, the majority of the audience are developers. So if you're a developer, you don't have to put your hand up, but if you if you can put your hand up, if you're comfortable putting your hand up, I'm just trying to gauge: is most of the audience developers, or is most of the audience just Bitcoiners? How many just Bitcoiners here? Okay, most are just Bitcoiners. Okay, I thought this was going to work a little bit better, but <laughs> we'll go there anyway, right? So, so you're in the VC space. You are a uh, general partner at EgoDeath. And I think for developers, as they're as they're looking at a VC, it's kind of like I, I'm tinkering with something right now, and I think it could maybe mature into a business. Or um, I've raised my first round, and boy, that was scary as hell. And I'm going to need a second round here because my runway is running out in six months. Like, what's the message to that person as they're looking at a VC, and and how do you view them to try to just help developers as they're going through this this uh, adventure of like taking something from idea to tech maturation to like full-blown business like how are you viewing that as a VC yeah I mean I think in general it's a really interesting and exciting time in lightning as all of you know um, a lot of really interesting businesses being built um, really for the first time you know, Lightning bringing that scalability to Bitcoin means you can actually have scalable businesses on top of Bitcoin for the first time. Um, and so we're seeing a lot of companies get to kind of the Series B, even Series C, Series A, certainly, um, and a lot really coming through at the seed and pre-seed stage. Um, so in our portfolio, we have Fetty, we have, you know, we let investments into Fetty, into Sonota, um, Breeze, which obviously Roy Scheinfeld is kind of this leader in, 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 in Lightning um, and others. And I think... Um, it's really important to be thoughtful, not just around the tech. I think that's one thing. It's like, what's the business model? What's the niche that you're carving out? What's the product that you're providing that's like solving a real world problem for someone today, um, as opposed to sometimes maybe kind of like it's an interesting tech. And so all of the companies, if you look like any 
kind of successful company is really saying, well, what's this problem out there that I'm the best person in the world to solve and how can I solve it and how can I then create this whole new product that I'm going to build and then be able to kind of own that category effectively. Um, and so if you look at kind of all of the companies we've invested in, they're really like creating this new idea, this new category, and it's not just, it's not tech, it's like tech plus business plus everything. So it's, I think what, what we love is teams who come together and everyone has, you know, in our team, we have, everyone has different expertise and we all bring something different to the table. So you, if you're not a tech person, but you have business expertise or other, other kind of knowledge, you can really bring that to the table along with um, someone who is potentially a developer as well. Okay. Um, last night we were here and um, David Bailey was in the back and he kind of raised a, a concern or a risk, if you will, because uh, there was a ton of way too much conversation, but like we just couldn't get away from it. It was like you couldn't flick it off of you. Uh, BlackRock ETF just kept coming up over and over and over again. And um, David brought up this concern. It's like, well, if if we have people, if we have the, the big Wall Streeters buying miners and they try to hard fork because they got all this Bitcoin in this ETF veil, right? Like that could be an attack vector. So... I asked Harry this morning, I was like, hey man, you wanna get some fiat food? And he, we went to the pancake uh, pantry this morning and uh, he's like, of course. And I was like, yes. And um, so we're sitting there at breakfast and he said to me, he said, yeah, you guys could have probably done a better job kind of fighting back. Uh, I, I, would, ne I would never criticize another person's <laughs> answer to a probing question. But to, to his, you know, as he told me his response, which I want him to tell you guys right now, I was like, dude, that is a really good response. So tell them what you told me at breakfast this morning. Well, so I think it's important to, to just give a little bit more context around the nature of the concern and the question, which is that, you know, right now we're seeing the emergence of you know, Larry, Larry Fink is getting on CNBC and talking about a Bitcoin ETF and BlackRock is reasonably full-throatedly, you know, supporting their initiative to get this thing done. And if you look at the track record of BlackRock and their ability to get these things approved, I think it's like 890 something approved and one or two rejected. So this is an overwhelmingly... Um, productive regulatory arm within BlackRock that's really good at getting these things done. So the likelihood of approval is quite high, you know, over what time scale we'll see, but it's a when, not an if. It is largely the read through. Um, and so then the question becomes, all right, well, you know, what if 2 million Bitcoin end up in this thing? Or what if 6 million Bitcoin end up in this thing? Um, and now all of a sudden there's actually, you know, a lot of beneficial owners of the shares but there's not a lot of decentralization across a large um, portion of the UTXO set, you know, what kind of emergent risks does that represent for, for us as participants in a network with a very large economic node that didn't exist a year or two ago or even today that might exist at some point in the near term? Um, and, and that's a reasonable concern. And, and David, you know, rightly so brought up the concern of like, well, you know, what if they introduce, you know, some version of, of a consensus mechanism that the rest of the nodes don't agree with, but there's so much economic power there that there becomes, you know, emergent phenomena that, that can only come from a, a form of centralization at that economic scale. Um, 
which, you know, again, reasonable concern. But I think that what that doesn't capture is that there are really sort of two um, things happening across broad-based Bitcoin adoption. One of them is, you know, Bitcoin, the financial asset, um, which is a, a purchasing power tool to preserve your time um, in, in an abstract way. Um, and, and that, you know, we're all we're all into that because uh, inflation, you know, is theft and time inflation is theft. And so if you sat at a delay at a plane, you know, they robbed you of your time and they have a monopoly on airfare and air travel. So, you know, they're they're just taking your life from you. Um, so the different, you know, I heard a really good quote. I'm reading um, Dune Messiah, the second Dune book. And, and there's a great quote, which is that if someone steals an hour, and I'm paraphrasing, forgive me, but if, if someone steals an hour from you or murders you, it's just a function of degree. Um, so, so, you know, it, the, these are things that we should take deadly serious because they're deadly. And there's Bitcoin, the financial asset that I think this BlackRock ETF is, is somehow derivative of, but, um, there's also this idea of Bitcoin, the settlement tool. And so if you want to do something in your life or a country wants to do something and they don't have access to being able to settle and, and, and being able to transact, whether it's cross border um, or domestically for them, you know, Bitcoin is representing this economic tool um, that's really just sort of a, a, a lubrication for their economy to function appropriately. And, and so we're going to see these use cases emerge in parallel. And the fungibility across those use cases is critical for Bitcoin to function properly. Um, because if, you know, if, I'm, if I've got settlement currency over here and I've got investment currency over here and over there, and all of a sudden they become incompatible, you know, the systemic design no longer is functional. Um, and so there's this diffusion of power, which is that the ability to, to be fungible across use cases is a, is a foundational principle. Um, that, that's the first piece. The second piece is that then you get into this environment where there's like a bunch of lightning channels that are open on top of base layer Bitcoin. And so the ability to introduce, you know, malicious forks or consensus changes that would disrupt the economic power and velocity that sits on top of the existing rule set is not actually easily portable to the second rule set um, or, or, or sort of the changed environment. Um, and so as Bitcoin not only grows broad, but also grows tall, these types of attack vectors are pretty largely diffused. Um, and so the ability to introduce an attack in the way that, that and I'm not picking on David, I think it's a good question, but the, the ability to introduce a threat model around the attack that he described, um, I, I just think is weaker because we've got a more robust um, and more broad-based uh, you know, economic good that's serving multiple people's functionality you know, across all these different vectors. It might not have seemed like we were going in a lightning direction, but it was lightning. It, it came full circle and it's the lightning network is reinforcing and making it difficult for huge, huge yeah. security improvement. I would also just add to that on the concerns around kind of losing decentralization on the base layer that lightning really helps that because now you're able to any arguments for functionality or different changes or transactability, you can shift that to the to the second layer now, um, second and or third layer. So um, there's much less of an argument now for potentially people who might want to make changes on the base layer that would threaten the decentralization of Bitcoin. So when I look across Twitter and I see 
everybody talking about this proposal or that proposal to have better scalability. And I think I think a lot of this really popped out of the whole ARC uh, announcement that happened down in Miami. And um, there's just a whole lot of opinions that are brewing. And a, it seems like there's a lot of energy behind people just wanting to do something on the base chain right now. As a person that's looking at Bitcoin, definitely for its store of value properties, I'm just, I'm just like, everybody just stop talking and like, let's not do anything and just, you know, but that's me looking at it with my own personal self-interest, right? And I, I get it for the developer side, like you, you want to, you want to keep improving and adding more capability. But I guess my question to Lisa specifically, and then the rest of the, the panel is, uh, was it Jameson Lop that that I saw him post? I don't know if he was retweeting or posting this idea of BIP zero, quad zero, which is like just stop doing everything and don't touch the base chain anymore and let it mature. What are your thoughts on that? And um, can I guess the real question is is can Lightning scale as is for what we all think is brewing here on a global scale? Yeah, that's a. Great question. Um, I think in general, I would characterize myself as a little bit of like a fuddy-duddy dev. Like people come out with like all these like new hot op codes that we could fork into Bitcoin and all this. And I'm like, yeah, but what if we didn't, you know? So like, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin's money, right? Like at the end of the day, the, the killer app for Bitcoin, you know, in tech, people talk about killer apps and like, yeah. What if the killer app for Bitcoin is just being money? Like, what if it's money already, right? Like, do we really need to add fancy scripts so you can make it all these fancy DeFi, whatever things to it, et cetera? So I think from that end, like, I might not be the most representative person to argue in favor of, like, fancy opcode updates, et cetera. That being said, I am a longtime Lightning developer. I've been working on the spec level of Lightning since 2018. And there is one update to Bitcoin that I'm really excited about. <laughs> um, so there's this proposal that's been out for the last few years called, it's called APO. I think a lot of, when I hear that, I think of like the post office code for sending things to like Asia Pacific. Um, that's not what it stands for. It stands for any previous output. Um, it's a small change to how when you make a Bitcoin signature, what kind of information you're going to commit to. So what can't be changed about a transaction when you have that signature? Maybe this is getting a little too technical. That's okay. Um, but it's really important for updating Lightning to a new way of making sure that the correct... If there's a... It's like kind of in the case of when there's a problem on Lightning... Um, you need to be able to get your money out of the lightning channel in a like orderly and efficient and hopefully cost effective way. So how many of you run lightning nodes in here? A lot of people. How many of you have ever had something that we call a forced closure? Almost everyone, right. And how many people know how much money it costs them to get their money out in the event of a forced closure? Not no one knows how much money it costs them. How many of you are too embarrassed to admit how much money it costs you to get the money out in a forced closure? 
So in class, in class this week, I had I had about six people, and we learned about why it's so expensive to have these. Uh, I would say slightly disorderly shutdowns of lightning channels, kind of in emergency situations. Um, they're kind of a big risk in terms of running a lightning node, in terms of your ability to orderly collect your funds back out of lightning. Um, there's been a proposal around since I got in lightning in 2018 uh, it used to be called L2, but that's very confusing because the word L2, just people don't know what that means. Um, recently, we've started calling it lightning symmetry, which may be just as confusing. I'm not sure. Uh, I need to workshop that one, I think. But in order to get this um, update to lightning, we really need something. We need this APO thing to go through or, or something like it. I tend to be like, let's do the APO thing. It's easy for us to reason about in terms of what else this allows to happen on the network. It has a concrete and enormous impact on our ability to, I think, really get large amounts of money into Bitcoin in what I would say is a safer and more scalable way. Um, so yeah, that's so yeah, one more soft work, you know, no more after that. Maybe we can like have a longer conversation. Um but yeah, so I'm I'm super bullish on Lightning. I think what we've got and what we've grown as a network is incredible and really exciting. Um, but, you know, people talk about this thing like the BlackRock ETF, like maybe they get a million Bitcoin in it. Um, I'm like, yeah, okay, that's fine as long as they also remember to commit it into Lightning. You know, we need, if Lightning Network is going to grow, we need more people putting their Bitcoin into Lightning because the amount of payments that we can make is a is a is a function of how much liquidity and capital there is available. If we're going to get big players to put a lot of money into Lightning, we need to be doing it on a protocol that I feel is well. That I mean, I don't think I'm the only one that feels this way, but feel like it's like scalable and safe. I mean, not to say it's not safe currently, but. Uh, maybe just we'll say more orderly and less expensive um, to get to wind it down in the case of a um, like disagreement or et cetera. So you do think it is scalable the way it the way it is right now. There's ways to make it better, but but I'm really bullish on this APO change. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Any other comments on just is it actually scalable as is right now? Do you? Do you think people need to calm down in their because like my concern when I'm looking at it just personally, right? It's like sometimes narratives can run. Sometimes you get this whole movement behind uh, a BIP and it just like takes on this life of its own. And yeah, I guess I, I guess I find all the chatter and like almost the uh, the need to do something is being more concerning than any technical risk that I've seen raised lately, but I might be speaking more to my lack of technical competence than anything else. I just don't agree with your frame, basically. Like, I, I don't think that it's, I don't think that's a reasonable uh, position to, to come at it from. Like, to me, number one is that if Bitcoin didn't change at all, it would be fine, right? Bitcoin is fine as it is. It works great. It works really well. You know, the, the concept of like gardening, I think makes a lot of sense from the software project perspective. Like, you know, nothing... When I say Bitcoin can be fine, it doesn't need to change. I mean that the types of, and 
fair warning, I'm not the most technical person in this room by a wide margin. Um, but if I think about it from a first principled perspective, like a software project doesn't sit in the water forever as it is never changing whatsoever and works forever. Like that's not how, that's not how these, that's not how engineering works. Um, in my experience is that, you know, it doesn't sit there and work forever perfectly. Um, and so, you know, number one is that there's hard forks coming in the future from a technical perspective. Um, and so we all are, are need to be on the same page and, and get behind that piece of it. But the, the other is that like, I don't know that Bitcoin does for everybody what it needs to do. I think it does from a hard cap monetary supply and a proof of work plus a difficulty adjustment governing the the you know the mining piece and the transaction the new block discovery piece but like i don't know that that's enough um and i think that saying you know our fear around social chatter is greater than the opportunity set in front of us just like doesn't take into account the hard engineering of what that offers us and what's the technical risk and and can we put a number to the social risk that it introduces as well you know i think the argument that like you know, Bitcoin not changing is better to get more people to buy more Bitcoin at larger scales. Like, I think that's a pretty reasonable narrative, but that might be short termism as well. Um, so I just like, you know, uh, I interrogate every belief first and foremost. And, you know, why why do I believe that it's perfect today? I don't know. I don't have a, a strong basis to believe that. Um, and I'm very um, sort of amenable and, and open to a dialogue around a set of technical trade-offs that might make Bitcoin a better software project. Um, all right. So this will be the last question. You guys, you can take this in any direction. What are you most excited about? What is most inspiring to you guys when you're looking at Lightning? And it can be from a developer standpoint, VC, it doesn't matter. I mean, I think I'm, I'll take two quick, two quick responses to that. One of them is just that like, our energy systems have not gotten any TLC in like 30 years. And they've gotten a bunch of like, absolutely broken subsidies jammed down their foie gras goose throats. Um, and, and that's massively distorted the pricing signals across all of these areas. Um, and we're living, you know, through the hellscape that is that environment now in many places in the U.S. and definitely in many places around the world. The, the core reason that we're seeing inflation across a lot of these jurisdictions is because of garbage energy policy. Um, and I think Bitcoin mining is you know some sanity in the darkness, um, and so we're able to to actually bring an honest market signal into a dishonest marketplace. Um, and so I'm very very bullish on that. And I think you know I've, I've had conversations with a lot of folks who are you know if they're not vocal about it yet, they at least see the sense. Um, so I'm super bullish about that, and I think it's a, a great place to onboard folks who might never own or use Bitcoin. But they might have a Bitcoin mining customer in their jurisdiction, and that might be, you know, the the um, you know the butterfly effect flapping its wings. Um, so that's one. And then the second is just like I, I get to sit down with with Bitcoin people, you know, more than I deserve, um, frankly. And and they spend their time with me, and and it's just so gratifying to be around Bitcoin people. And the number of times that I've heard. You know, I feel lost in my social circles or I feel lost in my community and I come to a place like this or I come and I talk to a, another Bitcoiner and it feels like I've known this person for years. We're aligned along all of these ways, you know, all of these non just Bitcoin ways um, and the level of connection and connectivity with our fellow um, human being that becomes available once people enter into a community like the Bitcoin community. Like that's just powerful and we need to do that. Lisa, Andy, anything? 
Uh, I think the thing I'm the most excited about right now is splicing, getting launched in something users can touch. Um, I think there's like a long story behind the journey of splicing. Um, uh, and like personally, it's like a protocol that I started working on in 2018. So like a big part of what makes splicing cool and hopefully uh, will help revolutionize some privacy aspects of Lightning around there's just like a lot of really cool things it does. Um, but that's like a project that I've sort of started in 2018. So it's really exciting to see it. One, have an entire like company that's kind of putting their whole project, like kind of making that a core piece of the infrastructure that they're shipping. Um, and it's super awesome that it's going to bring down fees for lightning like across the board it's going to make your liquidity that you're able to um allocate to the network like so much more flexible i think like people don't even know like how cool their ability to manage your liquidity just got um so yeah like so i think that's that's 100 percent the most the thing i'm like the most excited about the ship like this week yeah awesome Andy, anything you want to have? I'm excited in general. We get to meet, I mean, I sit in a very privileged position. I get to meet so many incredible people who are building, who are thinking of building. Um, and it's just, I think we came, we started the fund over a year ago now with a thesis that there would be this explosion of builders. And it's just kind of happening even beyond maybe where we could have thought. So, um, you know, people like Obi with Fetty and um, all of these amazing, I just get to kind of help them with finance and, and any other way. I mean, we help our teams a lot, but um, yeah, it's just really exciting to be a part of this community and and also seeing the community grow. I think Lightning enables that in so many ways and just seeing so many people from outside of Bitcoin um, starting to resonate with the ideas, with the, with the kind of um, technology and then also builders now with Lightning being this really interesting solution that it solves a problem that they see and they weren't Bitcoiners. They're not coming at it from Bitcoin. They're coming at it from like a problem that they see in their world. And they're like, oh, Bitcoin is with Lightning is this really interesting solution. Um, so I think that's really, really exciting. All right. What about you? Huh. Come on. You took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> I don't have anything. I don't. I don't I, I, I'm not let, prepared to answer questions. Let the record might. show Preston is bearish. <laughs> This is what I'll say. This is what I'll say. Thank God for the bear market. Okay. Because when I look where we were a year and a half ago, like, I mean, from an infrastructure, immediate settlement standpoint, like we were nowhere where we're at right now. And um, you really need that lull in, in the price action for all the noise to just get out of the way so that like the people in this room can sit there, hear each other have clarity of thought or focusing on the right things and not building shit coins and, you know, whatever, like you just, you really just filter all of that out. And, um, I just look at it as a real blessing to kind of see everything that's being like, it's just phenomenal to see some of the stuff that's being built. Like I know Andy highlighted, uh, Obi's like Fetty app, but like when we were able to play around with that, when he was over in Europe and just like, seeing how quickly it, it interacts, things like that. And that's just one example of many that have been really built out through this bear market. Like it's just fascinating and extremely exciting to, to cover and to be a part of. So yeah, that'd be my comment. So I'm excited about being excited of. The <laughs> There's the old saying that when the, you know, when you, when the tide goes out, you see who's 
you know, not wearing any pants. In Bitcoin, when the tide goes out, you see cathedrals. <laughs> All right. Um, maybe like some closing thoughts and I'll lead with this. Uh, I'm a big time dreamer. I probably got 30-ish good years left. So let's fast forward to that 30 years. I'm old, Andy, believe it or not. Um, what's the world look like? We're winning. We're winning bigly. But from your perspective, from an educator and developer, from a VC investor, Preston, Andy, and then from a miner, what's the world look like? And look, we're not like guessing and so on, just like a dream scenario. What's the world look like? Lightning's winning. Bitcoin's the monetary network of the world. Obvious, obvi, as the kids say. I'm just curious to know from your guys' perspective. I'm actually going to take this because it was something I heard about today and we sort of talked about it a bit. Um, and I am not claiming this is an original thought. This came from Jack Dorsey. I was listening to his podcast with Jack Mallers. And there's this concept of like Bitcoin fixes this. And everyone is like, Bitcoin fixes everything. And it's like, and so Jack's, what he said was, it's not necessarily Bitcoin, but it's the way of thinking about Bitcoin that fixes it. And so I envision a world where, you know, we've created this Bitcoin community, this way of thinking, which is seeing beyond, you know, all of these crazy, terrible structures we have in place to like something new. And what if like that mentality and that way of thinking could apply to healthcare, to societal structures, to the environment, to food, like all of these institutions. So that's my vision for the future, that the Bitcoin way of thinking actually is what spreads into everything. As well as, of course, Bitcoin. She did say this to me today. <laughs> and my brief response back to you was just, today, you're, most people, most citizens around the world, they don't own anything. They're just, they're renting or they're borrowing or they're like, there's just no ownership of anything. And I, I see 30 years from now when, when Rod is 50 years old that... Uh, <laughs> that in that world, you have this drastic shift for people that now they're starting to own things again. And with that comes this ownership mentality. Like when you go into you know, a, a fast food restaurant or whatever, the reason that your service is just so horrific is because those people that are working there have no equity in that business. They know they don't have any equity in that business. And they know that the salary that they're going to be paid is going to continue to be a, a pittance. And so with the reshuffling of, you know, we were talking about this idea of a debt jubilee last night. When you reshuffle all the equity in the world, you start to get people that, that come to every type of event in their lives as, well, if I provide a better service and I own this business or I own a portion of this business, I'm now incentivized to give you the best service that you've ever received because I want you to come back as a customer, as opposed to an employee mindset, which is, well, I don't give a shit whether this person ever comes back. Because that's what today, like you see it just everywhere because of the consolidation of equity, because of this fiat-based system. And so I think that that shift that, that what Jack is talking about in the interview, which I haven't listened to yet, um, really kind of gets to the, this root of this idea of ownership and pride in what you're doing like, how can you have pride in something when you know that, like, no matter how hard you work, it's just not going to make any difference or any type of reward for you? And that's that's the majority of all participants in, in the global economy right now because of this system that we're operating inside of. 
How many Lightning developers are we going to have in 30 years? I think we're going to have a lot. Yeah. I think, was it Graham from Voltage? I don't think he was able to make it this week, but he had, I think, an amazing uh, blog post. I think he was also on um, Stefan Levera's podcast talking about it, how every company is going to be a Lightning company. Like, I think... You know, you have CFOs at companies now. I think there's going to, your CFO is going to need to have a uh, department that's helping you with your Bitcoin management, right? You know, we get where we're going. I think, I think you know, people who know how to run Lightning nodes and know, understand what's going on with Lightning, I think that's a, you know, parabolic market over the next 30 years, so to speak, Um so, yeah, I think it's going to be huge. I don't think anyone really has any idea where that's going. But, yeah, super bullish. Um, in 30 years? Uh, I think in 30 years, um, we're going to look back at a day like today or a year like this year, and we're going to say to ourselves, that was an unbelievable eternity ago. Um, because I think that if we look back 30 years before today, it looks like an eternity ago. Um, and so I, I have sort of two, two uh, you know, I forget who said this, but, um, you know, quantum thought is your ability to hold two ideas that are opposite in your head at the same time and have them both be true. Um, one of them is just that, like, the human spirit and human flourishing, like, we've had that forever and, and we have it today. And that's just fundamentally good and we are good and, and we're gonna work really, really fucking hard um, between now and then to win because that's why we're here. What other choice do we have? Um, and so like, I, I laugh when people use the like, well, burn the boats, like we're going forward. We already burnt the boats. We burnt the boats the day we were born. Um, and, and so that's um, not Bitcoin related, but I think it's worth thinking about. <laughs> Uh, and then the the other is just like, you know, we just had the 4th of July um, and I went and there was a great, uh, great post. I think it was from Redheaded Libertarian on Twitter, potentially. And um, she uh, had a really great um, sort of deep dive into the history of a lot of the people who signed that document. And number one, the poverty that they incurred for themselves in order to be part of America um, and to help America exist. And so, you know, I think that it's important to, in 30 years from now, just think about the sacrifices that we made um, to get there and just the size of what is probably going to be asked of us between now and then and to prepare yourself now because those sacrifices and choices will be hard um, and it's the only way we're ever going to get there. Very well said. Round of applause for these folks. This is awesome.